All of the forms of inequality, inequality in health care is probably the most inhumane. Tests, office visits, pills, hospitalizations, what do they all actually cost? $330 billion with a B. Marks the beginning of open enrollment in the health insurance marketplaces. This is confusing. You're listening to Health O'Clock. This is show 28. Show 28, recorded June 19th, 2020. We are your source for health news, trends, and insights. So now it's time to talk about healthcare. And today, I don't have my normal co-host with me, but I do have someone just as awesome. Uh, say hello to Andy Huckaba. Hello, world. Hi. So today we are going to talk about telemedicine and telehealth. It's going to be a really fun conversation. But first off, the normal disclaimers. Uh, As some of you know who have been listening for a while, I am a healthcare actuary. I used to work for a health insurance company. Now I work for a consulting firm. But everything I share with you on this podcast is educational and publicly available to you. Uh, So don't take anything I say, go out and start a business and then turn around and sue me for it. Uh, If you need an actuary, hire one. So I'm Andy and uh, I have absolutely no disclaimers whatsoever. You can do anything you want to with my information. (laughs) (laughs) I am a uh, uh, management consultant, a former elected official, uh, a lot of different things. And um, this is a topic near and dear to my heart. And I'm anxious to talk about it today. Great. Thanks, Andy. And is it okay if I call you Andy? Absolutely. (laughs) Full disclaimer for everyone out there. Andy also happens to be my father. But I will call you daughter as opposed to Andrew. Okay. Okay. You want me to call you dad? (laughs) Yeah, whatever. Well, we'll figure it out. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So telemedicine. It's an exciting topic. Become a lot more relevant uh, in this particular moment that we're in, a global pandemic. Uh, We thought we'd start out today just talking about what it is. So let's hop into Healthcare 101. (laughs) That never gets old. I love that. (laughs) Do you want to take a stab at kind of the broad definition? Yeah. So, um, you know, we're looking at telemedicine or telehealth, and I think it's probably initially important to talk about the differences between those and there's another one out there called telecare there's a lot yeah and there's all these uh, virtual visits all sorts of language out there terribly confusing right yeah uh but essentially telehealth uh probably is considered the superset and telemedicine and telecare maybe are subsets of that okay and um, that's at least the way i look at it and it's it's a way of delivering um uh, healthcare uh, and or advice and or diagnosis via um, different types of telecommunication. So primarily video uh, over the internet yeah, and so forth. Any, yeah. any time that uh, either a doctor and another doctor or a patient and a doctor are not in the same room together, they can use something like this. Right? So, so I want to tell you uh, just a quick little story of, 
in 2000, I think it was 2005, mm-hmm. I was uh, serving on the intergo or not the intergovernmental, but the uh, telecommunications uh, committee for the National League of Cities. Mm-hmm. And we uh, had some meetings up in Alaska and uh, they demonstrated a very early telehealth uh, application where they had kiosks up in these remote villages in Alaska. And those of you who don't huh. know Alaska, Alaska is a very large geographic landmass. Uh, it's it's roughly this a third of the size of the whole continental United States. And like very small towns that are very right. far apart. And they're right? very far apart and they're yeah. not connected in any way. So you can't really easily drive or anything. So people take planes right right Uh, these these planes that land on the water all over the state to get to places and most of the population resides in a couple cities anchorage anchorage and fairbanks and juno yeah right yeah and the rest of the towns out there are just very small and and, and tiny and so they started rolling these kiosks so you say kiosk, do you mean like a photo booth? Or yeah, well, what does no, it look like? not really a photo booth, but they were uh, they were these carts that had medical devices on them. Oh. And they would train uh, people within the villages on how to use these. And um, they would allow uh, some diagnosis to happen, and then they could send that information um, to the hospitals and the physicians in the major cities to take a look at it as opposed to these people jumping on a plane, traveling to one of the big cities, which might be hours and hours away. And expensive. And having to wait for months to be able to be seen. Yeah. It turns out that Alaska had the highest, and still may, highest uh, occurrence of ear infections of any place uh, in the world. Uh-huh. And maybe it's the cold and maybe who knows. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But highest occurrence. And they were able to, with scopes and so forth, diagnose these things remotely, prescribe the proper medicines to them. Yeah. And and get those medicines to them and get a lot them quicker. Cured yeah. as opposed to other problems that might happen if you don't take care of them. Right. And so uh, this is one of the ways they were dealing with that problem and they were doing doing it in what I would consider uh, telehealth yeah. or telemedicine. Yeah, absolutely. And as you point out, like it definitely solves a problem in right. a lot of cases. People who are e- either too remote or can't get to the doctor for whatever reason, it, it provides another opportunity to get treatment and you don't just have to sit and wait. Right. So you yeah. you expand that to um, the rural areas of our country. Mm-hmm. and um, Or people who are not mobile. Or people who are not mobile. Yeah. Or um, uh, people that have difficulty getting out, of, getting transportation or getting out of the house. Or people and, who are sheltered at home during a pandemic. Absolutely. Yeah. All of a sudden you begin to see the benefits and why people are so excited about the the concept and the practice now of telemedicine telehealth. Absolutely, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's kind of jump into some of the different ways this manifests itself. You talked about one, which is these kiosks in Alaska, where they do some diagnosis and maybe they'd save images or save information and forward it to doctors in Anchorage or wherever. That's called store and forward, right? right? Um, some of the other options are a, uh, live video conference or how do you say it? Synchronous, synchronous, synchronous yes. video. Yeah. Uh, so that would be 
you need to see a doctor, you pull up Teladoc or whatever on your phone, uh, sign in, do all the stuff, and then boom, you're talking face-to-face with right. a doctor on your phone from wherever you are. Yep. Uh, store and forward or asynchronous, uh, we talked about. Remote patient monitoring. Yeah, so what does that look like? Well, there are a lot of people who have uh, conditions, diabetics, uh, heart conditions. Uh, all of your risk suite strokes, of like chronic conditions. All sorts of yeah. different uh, things that need monitoring. And, mm-hmm. and in the past, the the only way this monitoring could happen it was in person. They just had to make a lot of visits to the doctor or yeah. the hospital yeah, uh, to be able to uh, make sure that their levels were right or if they were not feeling well, they could do something uh, about do it. Do something yeah. about it. Uh, with remote monitoring, uh, this allows for that data to be immediately passed on to their physician or physician's office for monitoring and if anything out of the ordinary is happening, it actually allows them to be on top of these problems instead of their health really going downhill before they actually have it taken right. care of. Right. Yeah, that's that's something I've seen. There's a company in Europe that um, has started doing this, even for healthy people. Um, but they have all these like probes and whatever that you can measure your own stuff it saves the doctor is able to look at it on a daily basis and can very quickly see if you're stable or if something has changed over time i've also heard stories would you consider like if you have a a fitness tracker if you're wearing a fitness tracker and it's say monitoring your heartbeat all the time and then suddenly you have a heartbeat spike and you look down you're like that's not normal isn't that something that you could say, look at, say, this is not normal, send it to a physician? Would that be a kind of... Right. Yeah. So I think there are some uh, social issues around this. We should should probably think about that, that people do worry about uh, sharing too much information and having it too immediately available, right? Definitely. To uh, doctors, to insurance companies, to uh, government officials and so forth. And the ability um, to opt in, opt out is is probably really important. But also, um, how much are people really willing to share in the moment? Right. And, yeah. and that's a big social question that as telemedicine, telehealth, remote monitoring, and those different pieces become more prevalent, that yeah. question is going to get more heated. And uh, there will always be a corner of our society that just says, absolutely not. There's no way we're going there. But uh, but a lot of people are looking at it saying, okay, what's in it for me? Mm-hmm. What am I giving up? Yeah. What are the risks for me and so forth? And they're, they're, they're working on that and worried about that and, and, and thinking through it. And this is uh, this time that we're in right now. Uh, is one of those times that I think people are beginning to wrestle with these harder social questions yeah. around connectivity and, and versus uh, privacy. Absolutely. And, yeah. Well, and I was going to say that there are, when you're talking about healthcare in general, there's some very restrictive rules in the form of HIPAA law that says you can't share personal health information or you can't even look at anyone else's personal health information unless they've given you permission to look at it. Uh, so that law becomes a little 
more difficult when you're going over the internet right. in any form. Because well, how do diff- you guarantee yeah. for sure that a data breach isn't going to happen, that someone else isn't going to be able to see that information that's not supposed to? Right. So that that's something that has definitely come up during this whole conversation. And it's something during COVID that they've actually relaxed those rules a little bit in order to allow more people to get this kind of telecare. Right. Um, So that's all a very interesting argument there. So I kind of tested the boundaries of a little bit of this uh, in February this year. Uh Uh-huh. I came back from a a trip with my wife, your mom, uh, in Florida. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, and I got sick. Right. This was before anybody was calling anything anything. I had a terrible cough and, Mm -hmm. and... High fever. A fever and and some chills and and it wasn't going away. And and instead of going into my doctor's office, which I would normally do, I picked up the phone and called them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Not technically telemedicine. However, the concept's the same. Yeah. I felt like this was something I didn't need to sit in a, a doctor's waiting room exposing other people to. Right. That what I really needed to do is have a conversation and see what my next step was. Yeah. And so I had the conversation. He asked a few questions. He prescribed something for me. He said, if that doesn't start helping in a couple of days, give me a call back and we'll take the next step. Yeah. And uh, it worked. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden I started feeling better. Yeah. I did this all without a doctor's office visit. Right. And so uh, I see the direct benefits of this type of technology and the ability to do this. And I think they were grateful that I didn't come in, although, you know, I don't think they expected me to just call like that. Well, this was before it was COVID was widespread in the United States. So I think most people would have just gone in. Right. Yeah. And you didn't think you had COVID at the time. No, but looking back at the symptoms. It might have been. Yeah, it could have been. Took me a month to get over. (laughs) (laughs) It was pretty terrible. Um, Let's talk about uh, one more modality, the mobile health or M-health. Right. Now, this is slightly different from your, your, your virtual visit apps on your phone. These are referring more to like other health type apps that you have that don't necessarily connect you to a real person, right. but they may help you manage your own health. So these are like our um, our watches, right? Our Garmin watch yeah. or our Apple watch and, and the health side of that. And when it tells you to drink water and stand up and you need to move and fill in your circles and here's your heartbeat and all those. Or maybe you have a digital thermometer that hooks up to an app on your phone or something like, yeah, all sorts of all that technology that is helping you track your own health. So cool stuff, cool stuff. And this is a huge area of innovation right right now. So it'd be interesting to see what comes out. Uh, let's talk about some of the other regulatory issues. We talked about protecting personal health information and kind of the privacy issues surrounding it. Uh, let's talk about licensing of physicians. One of the issues when telemedicine has become more widely used is, okay, if you have a physician in Georgia, for example, and someone on their phone in Tennessee calls in, and gets connected to this physician in Georgia. Does the Georgia physician 
need to be licensed in Tennessee to treat that person. Yeah, so this is the the classic case of technology getting ahead of policy. Mm -hmm. And this happens. Very common, right? Yeah, it's very common. This happens quite a lot. And technology has a way of breaking down those barriers that we once saw as um, uh, critical and protective of a particular industry. But as you start to look at um, this particular situation, why wouldn't it make sense to have uh, a doctor with a specialty um, from a different state help somebody? Right. Even though they're not directly licensed in that state. So what are the problems around that? Well, some of the problems are is that, um, you know, there might be licensing standards in different states that are a little bit different. Right. And each state has their own rules that they I think some of the initial licensing standards are the same but then continuing ed's different or requirements you have to meet every year are different and what if you get your license taken away in one state yeah and so is this a big deal or so, yeah. is this really just going back to the uh, the federalist versus uh, um, <laughs> states right argument that you know was at the very beginning of this country well, but it's like globalization, but on a yeah. state versus country level. Right. Like, yeah, you can try and maintain your state borders and your own rules, but with all this technology, those borders aren't really, it's the same with online shopping. Yeah. Well, so another analogy yeah. might be that, you know, I can jump in my car, I have a Kansas driver's license, and I can go drive in Missouri, and it's valid in Missouri. It's legal. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, anything. Even though yeah. the licensing <laughs> happened in Kansas. Yeah. Okay. And so why is this any different than that? Well, and and here's the other thing. Like, I think this only really becomes an issue with the bad actors. So you have a physician who gets their license taken away in Missouri. They can just walk across state line, get a license in Kansas, and practice. So if you take away their license in one state, should it be taken away in all the other states? Right. So we actually talked about this issue. Uh, I served uh, and actually chaired a committee for the Federal Communications Commission um, on, uh, it was the Intergovernmental Advisory Committee. And uh, one of our recommendations papers was around telehealth. Yeah. So so we did, uh, had a lot of discussion about this. Is and that something people can go out and read? Yes, if they they're can. Interested? If you go to FCC.gov uh, and just do a search on telemedicine uh, or, or the Intergovernmental yeah. Advisory Committee. Okay. They should be uh, able to find IAC. that. We'll, we'll find uh, it and put a link in our show notes absolutely. if listeners are interested. You can actually read the paper. It's, it, it's, pretty lengthy and and it has a lot of good references in it Mm -hmm. and um it really deals with uh uh, not only the technology but the people issues involved in telehealth yeah and uh it's it's a fascinating one definitely so there's the licensing issue there's also a malpractice issue which is maybe kind of the same thing but if you're I'm an insurance person, so I'm I'm interested in if you're insuring a physician for a malpractice in a physical practice, does the insurance look different if you're insuring a physician over the internet? Oh, interesting. Like is there a greater liability there if they're 
prescribing right. things and, and seeing patients over the internet. So that's kind of an interesting thought also. Yeah, it is. The, one of the issues around telemedicine is how do you get paid for this? Right. If you're a doctor performing this service, are you going to make the same as an in-person office visit? Right. Like, is this worth your time? Or is it something where a lot of like the extra emails and phone calls you get from your patient aren't really reimbursed? Does it allow you, the flip side of that is it does it allow you to actually um, see more patients and help more people? Right. Does it, it expand your capacity as a physician um, because you don't have to see everybody in person? You don't have to physically move from room to room, right? right? Uh, one of the other questions on the insurance side is, is this less expensive than an in-person doctor visit? Or does it just, does are more people going to use this and so the costs kind of balance out in the end? Yeah, so I, it's kind of like, what are you paying for? What's the value, right? Yeah, what's yeah, the value? Are they the, going to have a telehealth visit and then say, oh, you need to come in, and then bam, you have two visits you ah, have to pay for instead of one? Yeah, or is the value the expertise of the doctor and that everything else like the waiting room and the, the exam room and all the cotton swabs and so forth that you see in there, uh, those are just uh, not necessarily value added. Yeah. We don't know. We don't know. Yeah. And these are all questions that are being asked right now and yeah. figuring out how to value the service, how to reimburse for it, and, and whether it is an in addition to our traditional doctor's office or maybe something that eventually is going to supersede a lot of that. Right. And so the, in, in this dialogue in this, well, let's just wait and see and let's see what's going on and let's let, let's let this play out uh, was great before COVID. Uh-huh. But COVID has forced the hand of these conversations, right? Right. Has forced this to be a, a front page issue. Right. There it, has been a huge drop in in-person doctor's visits right there's been a huge drop in any kind of medical service and and we've seen this play out in medical claims this first half of 2020 yeah who would want to go into a doctor's office full of sick people right now especially (laughs) if it's not necessary right if it's something you're like oh i got a little tickle in the back of my throat i'm just gonna stay home (laughs) like you don't want to you don't want to risk that and and so Telehealth has become a very real option for people who have something, but they don't want to risk the in-person visit. Right. Let's jump into broadband Ah. because this is one of the big issues around making sure there's equitable telehealth opportunities for everyone in this country. Right. Uh, So broadband is an issue because it's it goes hand in hand with telehealth. If you don't have the connection, you can't participate in this. Uh, so tell us at a high level what is broadband. Yeah, so broadband. Uh, uh, if you go to the FCC site, and there's lots of lots of information on broadband on the FCC site, or you can go to uh, NTIA or 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 Broadband USA, which is their site. Um, there's a lot of information about broadband. It's uh, it's about high speed internet access that allows users to access the internet and internet related services at higher speeds. Uh, the FCC defines this as 25 megabits 
download speed and three megabits ups, upload speed. Okay. Or an asynchronous uh, uh, speed level, right? Okay. And they have judged, at least to this point, that those speeds are adequate for, you know, the types of use that most people use. Um, what they don't talk about and they should talk about is in, in the world of uh, uh, smart devices and smart homes and everybody having multiple devices like a cell phone and a watch and a laptop and a desktop and, and smart lights in your house and smart thermostats and so forth, each of these share that bandwidth that we just talked mm-hmm. about. And as they share that, the amount that is available for any given use is much less. And so what has happened is that the real needs out there are significantly higher than the standard that they can call broadband, which is 25.3. So the 25.3 is not enough. It's not enough for, for most people, most families in, in today's world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, there are lots of people enough. that are, that are, are going with a lot less. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, and so, uh, uh, and, and they, they get by, they limp by. Yeah. But there are certain applications and so forth that they can't have they a, just can't use. a fluid or good experience. And telehealth is, I believe, one of them where you need the ability to, show images and video and um, have uh, interactive video calls that are not jumpy but they're 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 smooth and and the the picture is clear right yeah if if it's jumpy and you hear something different than what your doctor said that could be a big problem that's right yeah um so how much is enough i don't know you know uh, i've been working on this problem since 2005 yeah um, and, um, we've made a lot of progress in terms of getting broadband out to everybody. We kind of changed the dialogue at that point in time to really say broadband is a critical and essential, uh, service that people should have. It's not a luxury. Yeah. And we were kind of ahead of the, um, curve on that. It but took now, people a while to realize. It took people to realize it's not a luxury. It. Now yeah. they're realizing how essential it is, and in in a lot of cases, people see it as essential as power and water and you know, um, any of those other any utilities. any of the other utilities yeah. that you might think of utilities. And I think broadband it probably falls within that category. So you were so, telling me numbers before. How yeah. many people right now? aren't getting that standard, that 25.3. <laughs> well, so um, that number is in great dispute. Okay. Um, if you go to the FCC, they claim it's somewhere between 21 million and 19 million people still okay. don't have access to broadband. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. And I emphasize the word access. Now, they get those numbers because the telecommunications providers – fill out a 477 form. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what the frequency probably every year yeah. that says where and what their coverage is. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's a yeah. self-reporting type of fit, which factor. may not be entirely reliable. And they report that factor based on census blocks. Well, a census ah. block in a city might be a very small area, but a census block in a rural area may be a multi-county area. <laughs> 
yeah. <laughs> type of thing. Yeah. It's based on population, right? So and you could serve one county and not another and say you serve you, that whole census block. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what has happened with the broadband maps and, and all of that. And so that problem needs to be fixed. The understanding of where broadband is and where broadband is not right. needs to be a much more granular exercise. And I think there's progress being made toward that, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a, it's harder than you would think it is. Now, the biggest problem with that is that a lot of the money that is being allocated to solving this broadband gap, the people that don't have broadband, is significant. Uh, yeah. the, the rural broadband fund, I believe, is twenty point four billion or something like that uh, to be allocated in the right places. Right. But if you don't know where the right places are, how do you get it allocated? That's a really and that's good a really point. problem. Yeah. And so um, uh, that discussion is ongoing. It's a hard discussion, and it's hard to figure out uh, exactly where to put the money so that broadband can be built out in those different areas. Broadband can take the form of a few different things. Okay. Uh, digital subscriber line DSL is sometimes called broadband. I would say it's not broadband. Oftentimes DSL tops out at 10 megabits down. Okay. Uh, uh, cable modem is very much a broadband, uh, uh, delivery vehicle. And they can reach uh, uh, significant speeds with cable modems. Okay. Uh, I've seen tests, you know, uh, well over 10 gigabit in the cable modem world. Fiber is the ideal. Mm-hmm. Uh, fiber is basically glass in the ground, and they shoot uh, uh, light waves over fiber, and light is very fast, right? Yeah. And um, and they're able to send those, those signals over uh, light or over fiber. And that creates a, a, a really, really strong connection. So I have fiber in my house. And yeah, you we do too. Yeah, and, and get a great connection with that. So well, is the issue with some of these rural areas that can't get disinstalled just from a commercial carrier? The issue is they're so isolated that it's not cost effective. Absolutely. It doesn't fit their business model. So they just don't do it. Yeah, so they don't do it because they would lose money doing it. Which makes sense. Which makes sense. You can't ask the private companies who provide telecommunications to lose money. Lose money. Uh, yeah. So what it requires is a subsidy. Yeah. It uh, requires uh, some kind of government intervention and then to we, get everybody in. And, 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 you know, the electrification of our country required the same thing as well as telephone yeah. lines. Yeah. And, and so uh, this is not an unprecedented thing. It's just... In this case, it's really difficult to figure out where it is and where it is not. Right. That makes and, sense. Um, and until you figure that out, it's hard to figure out where the subsidy goes. Right. And, <laughs> and so this is a real interesting space. Uh, wireless is is a, a real interesting uh, broadband delivery mode and becoming more so as time goes on. And it's getting better. It's getting faster. It's getting more reliable um, and, and will continue to be that. Now, does this have to do with all those satellites that Elon Musk is yeah, shooting well, up so, into the sky? Yeah, well, so that's the next piece, which okay. is the satellite side. But the wireless side uh, has more to do with, uh, you know, the current standard out there right now, which is 4G, fourth generation mm-hmm. wireless, which can deliver broadband speeds into the 5G standard, which can deliver significantly higher than anything we're talking about 
as well as very low latency, which means that you don't have to wait for the data to move. It, it's, it's, uh. it, it moves fast. Not only do you have the speed, but you don't have any delays, right? Right. And so that matters a lot when you're having a communication, right? Or you're on a video call and you see somebody's mouth moving, but the words follow, you know, uh, a yeah. few seconds later. Yeah. That's a latency problem. Uh-huh. Uh, regular satellite or the high orbit satellites and telecommunication satellites today uh, have a very high latency. Okay. Uh, and their speeds are not very good. Okay. Um, but they can reach broadband speeds, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, and they're a little bit expensive for what you get. But for people that have nothing else, it's they might something. be a solution. Yeah. Uh, Elon Musk, uh, through um, Starlink, mm-hmm. is now testing uh, or will be testing here pretty quick uh, low uh, orbit satellites, communication satellites that have a very low latency and a very high bandwidth. Uh-huh. And um, this will be very interesting in terms of reaching all those areas in the world that don't have access to fiber or good wireless or whatever. Right. So maybe the goal here, it it almost seems like a moving goal line because the goal now is not to wire up people's houses, it's to wire up the phones in their pockets. Yeah, I think that's maybe part of it or or to get at least the transmitter close enough to them Yeah. that they have a good, solid, reliable signal. Right. And... uh, if that transmitter happens to be in the sky, so be it, yeah. right? Yeah. Or if it's on the ground, then you have to move them in a little bit closer. Uh, you still have uh, the atmospheric issues yeah. around all of that, right? Which, that's above my pay grade. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you still have that. And if yeah. people are relying on these services uh, for healthcare and education and commerce and staying connected to people, uh, having the the system go down because there are clouds out might be a problem it might be a problem yeah all right we're gonna take a quick break really good discussion so far we'll come back and talk a little bit more about covid after trying to find the right bumper medicinal purposes. We are talking telemedicine. All right. I don't know about you, but that put me in the mood to talk more. (laughs) I always like those breaks. I don't know why. It's just soothing. They're nice. (laughs) All right, so we're back. Uh, we're going to talk more about telemedicine recently in the news. Uh, let's start out with actually a kind of fun one. I saw an article talking about telemedicine for pets. Ooh. Okay, so you've got a dog, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Would you call up a vet remotely, or do you think you'd rather take your dog in? 
Well, yeah. So assuming that I had to keep him still long enough to show a picture of his owie <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> that, that might be a problem. However, anytime I take him to the vet. I'm right, sure he doesn't like it. Well, he actually kind of likes the vet because they oh, give him good. a lot of treats. Uh, smart. <laughs> but um, every time I take him, there's, you know, you're always sort of waiting out in the waiting room and there are other animals out there and he's you know, it's not home, so he's a little anxious, and and it'd be nice to not have to do that as much. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, this article's talking about it, and I think it's mostly used for things like aftercare monitoring, like let's say they've got a lesion and the doc just wants to see how it's clearing up. Uh, this is an option Yeah, where you can here hold the phone up to whatever it is. The vet can look at it and you don't have to try and load your pet up in the car and take them to the, the scary vet. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Kind of neat. Okay. Uh, another source of news. Uh, I saw an article about a huge spike in telemedicine past couple of months. Yeah, Gee, I wonder I, why. I wonder why that was. <laughs> so they were originally predicting in the year 2020 in the United States, that about 36 million telemedicine visits. They have now re, they have upped that number, and now they're estimating over 200 million. Yeah, that's incredible. So, so that's the difference between one in 10 yeah. people in the United States versus two out of every three people. Amazing. So that's just a huge spike. So do you, I, you know, obviously COVID and, and the lockdown orders and so forth have contributed to this, but what do you think the, um, the doctor's offices and hospitals and health, health insurance companies are doing differently to facilitate that number? I think a lot more physicians are realizing that that's an actual viable option for them. Um, I think before this crisis, it was business as usual, and a lot of times they're so busy they don't have time to sit down and think about innovation. Or did they perhaps see it as a threat? Maybe. Yeah, yeah maybe. Or is this new technology and I have to learn it and I may not be able to provide as good of care, so I'm not going to mess with it. But now when no one's showing up at your office – if you want to keep your business alive, you almost have to do this. There are pro- probably some, and I, I'm just saying this as a, I don't know this for a fact, but there are probably some COVID money that went to hospitals and doctor's offices and so forth to ramp up their um, telemedicine presence and abilities. To facilitate. And obviously there were the loosening of those privacy laws which makes it easier, a lower bar to get into this business. Whereas before you have to prove that you've met all these privacy requirements in order to even get into it before you even know if you have patients there to treat. So what's the downfall of that? Well, you could have a data breach. You could, your, your patient's personal health information could be out there in the world and they don't want it to be okay and what does that mean to um you know the regular joe on the street if there's a data breach of his health information well if your health information is out there in the world it it could mean a lot of things Uh, there's obvious like identity threat if it ends up on black web someone buys it 
But there's also things people don't think about, like if your employer Googles you and they see, oh, they've got these chronic conditions. Oh, I don't, uh, I don't know if I want to give him that promotion. I don't think he can handle it with these chronic conditions. It could affect your employment. It could affect, I don't know, I'm just spitballing here, like loans. If you're applying for a small business loan or something, maybe it could affect that. I don't know. If your information's out there, it could be used against you. Yep. So that's a reason to be worried about that. A reason to be worried about that. Even if you're fairly healthy, it's still not a good thing for your health information to be floating around somewhere. Right. So, um, okay, let's talk about some other things having to do with COVID. Okay, actions taken to expand telemedicine during COVID. So, and a lot of these are tied in with that CARES Act, which was that big act that uh, the federal legislature passed. Uh, So, they loosened those privacy restrictions. In a lot of cases, so for like Medicare, Medicaid, there were restrictions on who could use telemedicine. So if you were in a rural area and not super close to a doctor, then you could use it. They got rid of those restrictions, and now anybody could use telemedicine. Right. So that's definitely contributing to that number expanding. And perhaps a good thing. Yeah, right. I, th- I think definitely a good thing. I I'd, I'd think they were probably being cautious with who they were allowing to use, but... Yeah, somebody at one time said, well, let's let's start doing this with people who... Really you know, have to drive it. more than two hours to get yeah. medical care and see how it goes. And then, you know, later on, we, we may expand it based on what we learn. That's, you know, probably yeah. how, they, how it happened. And now they're going, everybody has to have, have it because everybody has to stay at home. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. Uh, another thing they did is now they're allowing phone visits. So just like a phone call. From your doctor, they're allowing that to be called telemedicine, meaning if a physician calls you on the phone, they can get paid for it. Yeah. Whereas before, not so much. Yeah, and they, and they should be. They right? should be paid for it. Absolutely. Right. It's uh, they're spending time with you, making sure that you're healthy. They're following up with you. That's definitely something they should be paid for. And well, and you're paying for their expertise. Right. Right. And 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 trust me. They do have it where we try to self-diagnose ourselves all the time. Google always tells me. And we have no idea. (laughs) And then we go in and see the doc and they poke around on us a couple places and they go, oh, it's this. And they're right. And that wasn't even on your radar. And so they do have valuable expertise. Yeah, Google usually just tells me I have cancer. Yeah, right. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. so it it definitely is valuable expertise. And yeah, any follow-up they make, phone calls, and now this telemedicine, they definitely should be paid fairly for it. Sure. So one of the rules in place was they needed to have a pre-existing relationship with the doctor in order to have a televisit with them. And so with COVID, they that restriction was removed. Another thing that's probably a good thing, right? Yeah. I don't know what the numbers are out there, but what percentage of the population has a pre-existing <laughs> relationship with a physician. Yeah. You you got to wonder that. Like, they always ask you, who's your physician? And at least half the people are like, I don't know. I haven't been in 10 years. Yeah, right. I don't even know if that person still exists anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. that And that's probably one of those things, again, they're being cautious. 
we don't want just anybody and everybody calling a doctor and then that gets billed to whoever. So it's probably a financial concern too. Um, Here's another one. Allowing clinicians to practice across state lines. It's a big one. So before they passed this CARES Act and for COVID, that whole issue of licensing, you couldn't practice telemedicine if the patient you were treating was not in the same state right. as you. So, so they uh, loosened that now. You know, <clears throat> nurses, I believe, have had compacts that go across state lines. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, and, and still do. Yeah. Um, but somehow with physicians or docs, that's been more limited than the nurses have. Yeah, they haven't quite got organized yeah. or, or... Or something. Something. So, um, you know, this just opens that up, I think, to uh, people going to the physician that can help them the most yeah. or the best, and depending on what their condition is. And the real question is, how do you navigate that? And that's a, a tough right. thing, right? Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So here's one that has to do with the broadband we were talking about before the break. Expanding telecommunications infrastructure. Uh, so, for example, establishing telemedicine platforms or ensuring patients have internet access. Right. So, uh, so that's, that's something I, yeah. I'm assuming they say they're expanding that. I'm assuming they probably threw some money at it. Yeah, they've they've got a lot of programs that are are working toward that. As I to- said, there's a lot of money. To, uh, Twenty point four billion dollars, I believe, for the the rural uh, uh, internet. Uh, um, connectivity project. Yeah. Uh, that's a lot of money. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, the real question is, is how do you get it to the right place? And, you know, if you use their conservative numbers about rural people who don't have broadband and they estimated at 14 million, that's about, you know, 1,470, I guess in the math here, uh-huh. uh, dollars per person. Right. To connect them to broadband. Uh, it's not, it's so it seems like a lot of money, but there are so many people that don't have it that that money's going to run out pretty quickly. And, and, and uh, if you're laying fiber to someone who lives up on the side of a mountain, that, that $1,000 or whatever is not going to go very far. <laughs> well, it's, it's not going to pay for the fiber in the ground. It's not going to sure. pay for the fiber in the ground. Right. <laughs> so, okay. That's what I've got for, I mean, we've got this whole, like, big article from Kaiser Family Foundation, which is really a great source of health news. Um, So I'll post this in the show notes as well. It talks about a lot of the changes that were made to telemedicine, telehealth options during COVID. Um, So check that out in the show notes if you want to know more about what has changed. So I think what we're going to do now... Twitter versus Twitter. So we've got a series of tweets about telemedicine and telehealth. Uh, So we're just going to go through these. Tulsi Jose, MD, tweeted, A large volume of pre-op evaluations for elective procedures are now being done via telemedicine. Our POE clinic is following additional screening for COVID-19 as well. And Kathy Eager, it seems that telehealth is turning a lot 
of general practice into little more than an online or telephone prescribing service. Not what we want going forward. That's an interesting, uh, uh, hit pause on Twitter versus Twitter for a second. That That's kind of a criticism of telemedicine and kind of a danger that you hop on a, a phone chat with these docs and they say, oh, it sounds like you have that. I'll prescribe you something. But don't they kind of do that in a doctor's office too? <laughs> well, you'd hope they do a little more than that. But they poke their head in, they glance at you, and they <laughs> type say, some things. This in is what the you have. I'm giving you this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's maybe a, a commentary on the whole medical system, and maybe not just telehealth in general. Okay, Linz tweeted. The herbalist told me to see my doctor so I can get blood work done. I called and have a telehealth appointment for Monday. I would never usually get in this quick. I'm still going to have to go in to get the blood work done. Now, if they could somehow <laughs> transcend the getting the blood work done over the internet, if that would could, be the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, right? if you could just prick your finger at home. And it analyzes the blood there and just sends the results. That'd be pretty cool. Well, aren't they sort of doing that with the diabetics? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But right now, I think uh, some of those devices probably need to come down in price before you just roll them out to everyone. Probably. But yeah. if you roll them out to everyone, they'll go down in price. That's <laughs> an excellent point. There you go. Uh, Eric Wicklund, um, a free health clinic in Oakland is using a new telehealth platform to help patients access care that they'd otherwise go without. So yeah. this is a really interesting concept, the idea of a free healthcare clinic using this to um, get more services out to the community. Which seems like a really good thing. Me too. Yeah. yeah. And, and one thing we didn't touch on very much is a huge part of telehealth is actually mental and behavioral health services and substance abuse services. That's something that can be offered very easily through telehealth, and it actually provides more access to those services than you normally have. Um, so that's, I think, a really good thing. Probably more sense of immediacy and more sense of, uh, or at least a feeling of privacy. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, all good things when you're, when you're talking about mental health or, or if someone's having a crisis, they don't have the, the three-week wait and then go and sit in a doctor's office. Like, they, they have it in their hand in that right. moment when they need it. Really good things, I think. So I have a question. Sure. Kind of in closing, and I know we're getting close to that. Um, what do people fear about telehealth what would cause them not to want to use it trying to get into the head of someone who would not be interested um misdiagnosis uh, misdiagnosis is is a possibility because they're not seen as much as if they saw you in person um so that's definitely a concern um i think maybe they feel like they're not as real to the physician and Could so be. maybe the physician would care about them less if they were just on a screen and not in person right although i've seen a lot of studies indicating the opposite of that that they felt like they had more time with the physician 
over some of these telehealth calls than they did when they're in the office. And like you said, the physician pokes his head in, types something on the computer, talks to you for like two minutes, and then rushes out again. Sure. So I don't know. What do you think? Well, um, my mind goes to uh, kind of the digital divide and digital literacy, that there are still a lot of people out there who are not comfortable with technology. Uh, They either don't have it available to them or they have it, but they don't know how to use it. They're afraid that they're going to break something if they push a button. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so what becomes commonplace for a lot of us who use technology all the time is a major obstacle for them. And that might be one reason why people don't use it. And I'll take you back to this whole idea of the digital divide. That digital divide doesn't necessarily mean you don't have broadband. It may mean that you don't know how to use it or you don't know or you're afraid of it or... Or you um, can't afford it. Or you can't afford it. Yeah. Uh, uh, that you don't have the devices that will work well with it. Um, and you don't know where to turn. Yeah. And so that creates a divide and it basically carves that population of people out of the... Uh, uh, possibility of using um, technology to connect uh, for their health. So then it almost creates, it, I mean, it's a class system in the, in the healthcare Absolutely. Yeah. that the haves can access this great new service and the have-nots can't. Yeah, and we see this in education and we see it in um, commerce and in all sorts of different areas where this digital divide becomes a real uh, have-and-have-not type of environment and really important to try to close that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've got one more tweet. So Emery says, had my first phone call a while yesterday, uh, was good, went longer than it should have, laughed over kids, gardening, a little politics, weather. We were totally bonding until she said, well, your charts look great, so I guess we can talk in another six months. Hashtag telehealth. Hashtag doctor. (laughs) Thought that was a good one to end on. Well, so she made a new friend. (laughs) So I think we've come to the end of our show here. Uh, Yeah. I'm so sorry that we're ending because we could talk about this. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. There is a lot here to talk about. And we, I feel like we just scratched the surface. So I would encourage all of our astute listeners out there that if you haven't tried telehealth give it a shot give it a shot especially if you are insured and your insurance covers it then it might be a good option if you need to go to the doctor and haven't made it there yet yeah well thanks for joining us thanks everybody uh rate us subscribe like us on itunes all the things Be sure to check out those links in the show notes for uh, both the FCC uh, data on broadband and telehealth and also on the Kaiser Family Foundation Telehealth and COVID. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.